Amen. Thank you, folks. Appreciate that very much. Turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to deviate from Hebrews here for a, a couple Wednesdays. We'll get back to it in January. And uh, so tonight we reflect a little bit on Christmas in a unique way, kind of a different way, kind of a continuation or a, I should not say continuation, kind of a follow-up to uh, some things we looked at on Sunday. And so you'll see up above me, we're going to talk in reference to um, this past Sunday morning, and I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed the children's program this past Sunday morning, and uh, they really did a fantastic job. I, again, want to say how much I appreciate all those that helped oversee it, lead it, all of our junior church workers that were a big part, others too, that helped in different ways. Sound booth, we've taxed them greatly this uh, holiday season between the cantatas and the program and things, so we just appreciate everybody that makes it uh, work, and obviously nurseries and things like that, but... I like the title of it, uh, Stories of the Savior. And so when we came across it a couple months ago, uh, a really intriguing title, really, if you think about it, The Stories of the Savior. Uh, we do have a place on the back of the um, prayer bulletin for notes. There's not an outline per se. If you need a prayer bulletin, Brother Ron Ruby will come down the middle aisle, and there is a place to um, put um, notes on there if you'd like to. So you just raise your hand. Brother Ron will bring those down the middle aisle as we do each week. If you need one, I'd be glad to get you one. But uh, Stories of the Savior, it's an intriguing thought, isn't it? Uh, as I mentioned on Sunday morning after the program, the reality is this, that God um, wants each of us to have a story of the Savior. And uh, it, it's interesting, you think about it in context uh, or how it's couched that way. The fact is, he's already written the chapters, the early chapters of your story. Um, God in heaven has uh, already orchestrated some things. He's written some reality to the fact that Jesus Christ did come to earth, that he died on the cross and so forth. And now he wants you and I to take over and writing the rest of that story to a degree, right? He wants us to put his, our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to write the next chapter of our story with the Savior. And so um, it's, in a, it's a good thought. And we looked at, as we saw through the program, we heard the story of many a saint of the Old Testament in their story of the Savior in, in many different ways. One of those mentioned, you see it in the title here, is David. David, and we looked at Matthew chapter 1, the lineage of David, and how Christ came through that heritage, that lineage, and so forth. Interestingly, in the Scriptures, there's a whole lot more detail given uh, within the Scriptures that speak of David's story of the Savior, and specifically the last chapter that has not been written. In other words, I'd put it this way, and the title of the message is simply this, David's stories of the Savior to be continued, to be continued, okay? I don't know about you, but I, I like different kinds of shows and different kinds of things, documentaries and things. I hate it when they split it in the middle and they say to be continued, I don't like that. I don't like a to-be-continued kind of thing and so forth. And, and uh, I like reading books. And uh, sometimes when you read a trilogy or you read different kinds of books that go together, I hate having to wait for the next book to be printed or written and things like that and so forth, right? But that's David's story. His story of the Savior is to be continued. Now, it's interesting. I would not be the first one to say so. I would not be the first one to recount to an audience like you folks and say, hey, you know what, there's the rest of the story that's coming. There's, there's more to be written in David's story of the Savior. And in fact, um, I would not be the first one, and certainly um, there'd be many along the way, but one of the first was Peter. Peter actually spoke of David and his story of the Savior, and he spoke of the reality that there's more to come. There's more chapters to be written. In fact, I, I think in many ways, Peter said, hey, to be continued, to be continued. You say, when did Peter speak to that end? 
Well, Peter actually preached on it at the day of Pentecost. Here in Acts chapter 2, as we found that place, in Acts chapter 2, he, he does it, and we want to look specifically at verse 29, if you will, with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 29, and notice what he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak, and <laughs> I like that statement, freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher uh, is with us unto this day. Okay, so what does he do? He, he begins saying, hey, I'm going to preach on this. I'm going to tell you about this, as many a preacher does. He says, I'm going to preach on David, our patriarch. I, I, I want to share a little bit with you about it, remind you of him. And certainly they, they were all aware of him being Jews and, and such. And they would have been aware of David as the, the great king of Israel, highly revered and held in high esteem. He goes on, look at verse 30. He says this, Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Okay, now that is a very packed verse. There's a lot in it that is spoken, so let's just break it down. Let's first of all start with this thing that most people don't think of David. Do you see what Peter called him? Peter said, hey, David's a prophet. Now, if you were to ask somebody, especially someone in, uh, who has studied the Bible, who's been in church, you say, well, who, who was David? And they say, oh, David king. He was the king. He was the king of Israel. He came after Saul and, and uh, just a great king. The, the, the nation thrived on him. Most people would not identify David as a prophet. But here Peter steps up, and I think he does it purposefully for sure. I, I think he does it with good reason. He says, listen, David, David was a prophet. And then he goes on to expouse about that. But understand this. Let's step back a moment. I think this is, you say, well, I don't know if David was a prophet. Well, can I just remind you the reality of it? This statement is approved at the very least by God. It was likely given to Peter by the Holy Spirit. David's a prophet. Well, what was he a prophet of? What did he prophesy about? Well, Peter expounds upon that. Look at verse 31. He says this. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, I like that. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because here he says, listen, David, thousands of years before you and I stood here, as he would preach to them, David, he spoke of Christ's resurrection. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? Peter standing on the day of Pentecost, not too many days after the reality that David, uh, that, excuse me, that Christ rose uh, from the dead, that he, uh, now just a few days after his ascension and so forth, Peter stands up and he says, listen, David in the Old Testament, our great king and a prophet spoke of the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. That being the means and catalyst for David himself being able to gain heaven and escape hell. So I don't know about you, immediately my mind rushes to something and questions pop up across the, the board and it's this, where and when did David prophesy this? What, what is Peter alluding to that, that he says that David prophesied of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to do a little uh, scripture search tonight, all right? And uh, one of my favorite things to do in Bible studies. And so, hold your spot here. Grab a piece of paper, grab a pencil. Throw it in here to Acts chapter number 2. We'll be back. Turn with me, if you will. Acts chapter 16. Uh, excuse me, not Acts chapter 16. I apologize. Psalm chapter 16 would be good. Psalm chapter 16. We'll look in verse number 1. We're going to read the entirety of the psalm. And uh, then we'll highlight... Uh, the reference that Peter was likely referring to here. Psalm chapter 16, verses 1 through 11 is where we will read first. It says this, 
you see the title, this is of David, written by David, a prayer, a meditation of David, a mishtam. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth, um, my, excuse me, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names unto my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also so shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence. Uh, the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You noticed it already. Verse number 10 is from where Peter's quoting. Peter is referencing that statement that, that David makes here. And David saying, the Holy One, I, I like that terminology, another title, another term for the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. Uh, he's You're not going to allow him to see corruption. He's is, he is not going to stay in the grave. That's not going to happen. And David foretells of that truth of the resurrection. But that's not the only place that David would prophesy of the Christ of the Savior, of the Messiah. There's several, and there's many, and we can't look at them all, but let me share a couple with you. Psalm chapter 22, and verse 1, and I gave the title that's listed above the psalm here, so you can see, this is of David. Notice the statement, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He goes on, why art thou so far from helping me, and from the words of my roaring? Uh, it's an Old Testament nod, we might say, to the words of Christ on the cross. Then we look at Psalms chapter 22 and verse number 18. This is a very familiar prophecy. It says this, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture, my coat. We've talked about that and spoken about that on the message before. Yea, a reference to Christ and the, the guards there at the foot of the cross and such. Psalm chapter 69 and verse number 1. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave gave me vinegar to drink. See, David writing all of these psalms is speaking of Jesus Christ. He's prophesying. He's fulfilling what Peter called him to be, a, a prophet speaking of Jesus Christ. Not just the resurrection, as Peter would say in Acts chapter 2, but also much more, speaking to the reality. Now, here's another interesting tidbit, okay? I like connecting dots. I don't know about you. I like filling in the blanks, connecting the dots in Scripture and so forth. But there's also another example of David prophesying about the Savior and something connected to him. Back in Acts chapter 1, we arrive to the believers, and, and, and you, know, you know what's happening. It's a very uh, uh, volatile time for the believers, right? Jesus Christ has just ascended. Uh, the angels have appeared and said, what? Why are you standing here gazing? <laughs> Why are you looking up? Go back, and uh, just as he's promised, Holy Ghost is going to come, and so forth. And so they have gone back to Jerusalem, and the Bible tells us they are gathering regularly. And uh, they're meeting in the upper room, all of his followers, the believers, certainly disciples and such, and they're meeting in the upper room, and they're um, having time, fellowship together, and, and in fact, um, again, there's the allusion to several meetings over different amount of days and so forth. And so one of those days that they met together in the other, upper room, 
Peter stands up, and he, he, he is led of the Holy Spirit, I believe, to begin addressing, okay, where do we go from here? After all that's happened, and Jesus Christ has died, he's risen again, we've seen him, and now he's ascended up into heaven. Where do we go from here? So Peter's going to stand up, he's going to address these things, and he does so, how, how they are to move forward. So he starts off the statement, though, with quite an interesting tidbit. Turn with me back, if you will, Acts chapter 1. Hold your spot in Psalms. We'll be in not the same chapter, but another part of Psalms. Acts chapter 1. Hopefully you hold, held your spot in Acts 2. But Acts chapter 1, let's look with me, if you will, verses 15 through 17. And in those days, okay, Peter stood up. That Hence, in those days, the reference to likely there are multiple meetings. He stood up in the midst of the disciples and said... And it gives us this parenthetical phrase. And I, I like this statement. The number of names together were about 120. That's names. It doesn't say men. It doesn't say... So, so we have names. And so I like that. And God knew every single one of them by name. And uh, as he would hear you and I gathering together. But notice what it says. The number were about 120. Verse 16. Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled. Now, that's interesting. He's talking about prophecy all of a sudden. He just starts out. Now, listen, these things happen. They, they played out to fulfill prophecy. What is that prophecy, Peter? He goes on. Which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of, who does he say? David. By the mouth of David. Here he is again. By the mouth of David spake before concerning who? Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Now, this is an interesting, powerful statement. There it is again, right? He's speaking of David. He essentially calls him a what? Well, if we're talking about fulfilled prophecy, he is calling him a prophet. And he's a prophet that the Holy Spirit is speaking through, is what he said. He, he spoke through him when he wrote the Psalms, when he did, gave different clues and prophecies, right? He spoke through him. What is the prophecy about? Well, in this case, the prophecy is about the one who would betray Jesus Christ, Judas, as we know it. Now, again, we ask the question, where in the Bible does David write about this? I mean, this, is, this is quite amazing. This is quite interesting. Here's, here's David. We think of him as the king of Israel, but he's also a prophet that he has prophesied about Jesus Christ, his resurrection, things that would happen at his death. And now he's prophesying about even Judas. Where does all of this transpire or take place within the Scriptures? Well, there is some disagreement about the specific psalm he is referencing, but there's several that that could apply to. One of them is Psalm chapter 41 and verse number 9. Here's what it says. Yea, mine own familiar friend, and, and whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread. Isn't that an interesting statement? Because you remember how Jesus Christ signified who Judas, or who would betray him, right? The, the bread and the sop and, and, and dipping it. It's interesting, and not interesting, I think it's obviously ordained by the Holy Spirit, a statement such as this, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And some of you much greater Bible scholars than I will, like me, think immediately back to Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy heel, and thou shalt bruise his head. And knowing Satan is behind this whole thing, and yet yeah, we, we read Satan is entering into Judas, and boy, you just tying all the dots together. It's amazing. Isn't it cool how the scriptures just all come together? 
how they have just consistently together. And I, man, I love it. I get excited about these kinds of things. And so we see that reference. Another reference would be this, Psalm chapter 109, verse 8. Let his days be few and let another take his office. We'll reference this passage in a moment too. But I believe these are viable possibilities, likelihoods to what Peter is speaking of. Regardless, he is saying, listen, David prophesied about Judas in probably several different places. In addition, in addition, Luke, who writes Acts, also records in this interaction, whether Peter said it or Luke interjects it, there is a great proof passage here in the same chapter that is given to us that speaks again of David being a prophet and the reality that he spoke of Judas's betrayal. Look at verse 20, if you will, okay? Chapter 1, verse 20 says this, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation, again, let me go back, in context of Judas, it is explained in the prior verses what has happened with Judas. The money that, uh, that he took for the betrayal, they purchased the field, the reward of iniquity, verse 18. It was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, verse number 19. And so, so much of that field was called the field of blood, the field of blood. So we're talking about Judas, and now he says it's written in the book of Psalms, of Judas, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric, let another take. Wow, what a powerful statement, a reference. You say, what psalm is he referring to there when he's speaking of, uh, of Judas? Well, there's a psalm in the, uh, in the book of Psalms that speaks particularly of those who gave up Jesus for crucifixion and torment. That is Psalm chapter 69. Look at verse 25. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. So Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, now let me ask you this. I don't think we have a clearer description of any other time as much as we do the day of Pentecost. I think we have clear descriptions of the times, but I don't think we have a clearer description, a more obvious description, than at the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was upon Peter. Amen? We know that he had just descended, and boy, these people were filled with the Holy Spirit. There were sign gifts and things that demonstrated they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Again, there's other times that are super clear, but I don't think there's anything clearer than the day of Pentecost that Peter was under the influence, the direction of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, okay? And even here, as they met in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descends upon them, Peter speaks and says, listen, this verse applies to Judas. This is a fulfillment of this verse back in Psalms that David spoke of. In fact, not only this one, but the one we just look at, Psalm 109, verse 8. You remember what it said, let another take his office. Last part of that verse is very much a, a reference to that. Okay, so suffice it to say, David is m- more connected. His story of the Savior is much more than just the lineage found in Matthew chapter 1. It is much greater than just the reality that, that he's found in this long list of Jesus and his uh, lineage and heritage and things like that. Okay, But he's also linked through prophecy. It's a story that continues in that sense. But I want to go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 30. We didn't tear it apart much but let's look a little bit more at that verse acts chapter 2 verse 30 we passed over for a moment one of the connections or a part of the story another chapter of david's story okay a promise is given by david or to david excuse me about the savior by god himself that's what verse 30 alludes to notice what it says again therefore being a prophet speaking of david 
knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Now that is a great, powerful statement, isn't it? Another interesting little tidbit, okay? Um, now that's not the only reference in the Bible to God promising David that the Savior, um, the Messiah, would come from his line, would be of his seed, would also sit upon his throne. Okay? That's confirmed in the Scriptures. Now, when we think of the book of Psalms, right, we're, well, uh, we're, we're familiar that the book of Psalms is a compilation of different Psalms, most of them written by David. But as it is a compilation, we find some, some psalms written by different people. In fact, some amazing different people. Asaph and Moses and Ezra and, and, and Solomon writes some. And, and there's debate about a few others. Some seem anonymous. Or, anonymous, that's a good word. Okay, and uh, anonymous. How about that? That's better. And uh, okay, some seem anonymous. Some seem like we don't know exactly who they are. It could be a couple different guys. And so we know this about different psalms. And frankly, if you start to study it, you know what's neat? The Psalms probably span a time period of a thousand years. From Moses all the way to Ezra. It's pretty amazing if you think about it. Here's part of our Bible that is a compilation, and that's, that's kind of neat, really, if you think about it. And, and it spans a thousand years of God's interaction with mankind. And I think that's why you often see so many praising of God and exalting God and glorifying God. Because you have all these different characters to many generations that are espousing and expounding upon the goodness of God. Anyway, as we think about that, we, we want to consider a particular psalm, and uh, different good men ascribe the psalm to different people. John Phillips, he ascribes this psalm to King Hezekiah. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce and Matthew Henry, who I'm partial to, um, he ascribes the psalm to uh, Ezra, in fact. Both of those do, excuse me. And, uh, or actually Solomon, excuse me. They ascribe it to Solomon and uh, David's son, which kind of flows with it. What psalm are we speaking of here, right? Well, let me say this. Regardless of who wrote it, um, it sure seems that somebody other than David wrote it. And within that psalm, the author does exactly what Peter did, what Acts chapter number 1 and Acts chapter 2 did also there. It speaks, particularly verse 30 of Acts chapter 2, about the promise of God to David. It makes it clear, and so I find it amazing. Here, all the way in Acts, Peter is speaking in Acts chapter 2 of a promise that God gave David, obviously well known. Here in this psalm, there's, a, there's an author of a psalm that's not David that speaks of the exact same promise that God gave um, to David. It's Psalm chapter 132. Particularly, it's verse 11. For sake of time, let me share it with you. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon the throne. My friend, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Is someone else recounting David's story of the Savior, saying, listen, God promised him. God promised him that the Savior, the Messiah, is going to come through his line. And not only is he going to come through his line, he will eventually sit upon the throne of David. That's an interesting truth. Amazingly, the author of Psalm 132 is not alone in speaking of the promise. Have you ever heard of a man named Ethan? Well, he wrote one of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. Look with me, if you will. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 89. Look at Psalm chapter number 89. Psalm chapter number 89. Notice what it says. And many of you will identify it at the top, a masculine of Ethan the Ezraite. 
Okay? The maskeel is uh, kind of the debate about it. Is it a literary term? Is it a musical term? It, it, it's obviously some conveyance of truth. And whether in musical form or in literary form, it's a conveyance of truth. In this case, a psalm is written as such. Okay? And so this is written, many would lean to the musical interpretation because in the very first verse it says, I will sing. But I want to draw your attention to verses 3 and 4. Psalm 89, verse 3 and 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant, what? Verse 4, thy seed will I establish forever and build upon thy throne to all generations. Selah, think on these things. Verse 35, notice what else? Verse 35, actually verse 34. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out from my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. Okay? So, again, reiteration, strong confirmation about God's promise to David, um, the one that there be one who would sit upon his throne. And uh, we know that to be, as, as we read these passages, we understand, wait, that's speaking of Jesus Christ. That's speaking of the Messiah, as Isaiah and others, Jeremiah, and others, have prophesied that the day is coming. Well, that kingdom will be established here on earth in Jerusalem. And we understand that to be the reference to Christ, the Savior and Messiah. So that begs the question, let's get to the bottom of it. When and where was this promise given? Where did it start that God was going to say to David and said to David, I'm going to make you a promise, David. I'm going to make a covenant, as this passage would say. I'm going to establish your seed forever. More importantly, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior is going to come from your seed, and he will also sit upon the throne, your throne, forever. And that's a strong term, isn't it? Forever. Well, we want to go back to where God spoke to David directly where he gave him the promise concerning these things. Most of us here will know well that as David neared the end of his life and things were somewhat peaceful, unlike they had been before, David had a great yearning in his heart, didn't he? He had a great desire that, that was just there. And he, he, he had Nathan with him one day. And uh, you can imagine in the, the throne room, he says, Nathan, guess what? You know what I want to do? It's what I've always wanted to do. I want to build a house for God. I want to build a temple. I want to give him what he has in hand. Listen, we have nice things. I have a nice palace. We have nice homes to live in. But there's no place for us to, to worship God. There's no temple. And you remember, that was his desire. That was what he wanted to do. And so he told Nathan that. And you remember that very night, God spoke to Nathan. And basically, God told Nathan, said, go back to David and tell him he's not the one that's going to build it. I will have his son build that temple, that house for me. Okay. But within that message, God gave him some great promises. Turn with me, if you will, and the last passage we'll turn to, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So we'll take a left-hand turn. We'll go to 2 Samuel chapter number 7. We'll see in this description here, and we're going to pick up in verse 7. Again, what I've just described for you has already transpired in the previous verses, but verse number 7 simply says this, in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I. This is God speaking, by the way. Let me, uh, verse 5, go and tell my servant David. Okay, So verse 7, God, in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me a house of cedar? Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be rulers over my people, and a ruler over my people. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers i will set up thy seed for thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels and i will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i will be his father and he shall be my son if he commit iniquity i will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men but my mercy shall not depart away from him as i took it from saul whom i put away before thee verse 16 and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee thy throne shall be established forever according to all these words and according to all this vision so did nathan speak with david now, there's two occasions within this statement, this declaration by God through Nathan um, uh, to David of this promise that a statement is made that cannot be true of Solomon. It is clear that Solomon is referenced here. He's the one that built the temple. He is the one that, that, that took over the throne and his kingdom was established by God, the son of David. We know this and that speaks much of him. But there's two statements in here that could not be true of Solomon. That could not apply to his kingdom or any kingdom or any king that sat upon the throne of David. What are they? Well, verses 13 and 17 say that David's throne shall be established, and here's the key word, forever. Forever. It will have an everlasting authority. It will be established everlasting. But that's not true today, is it? Well, no, uh, Israel's in turmoil. In fact, in our prayer bulletin, we have, a, we, we have one of our prayer update from one of our missionaries there in Israel. And some stories are related there, and it's just a tumultuous time. You see it in the news. There, there is no God-ordained ruler in Israel now. There's no one sitting upon the throne of David. We understand that. It's, it's not fulfilled, but the day is coming when that prophecy will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. Now, what I like about this promise, as we read in here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we understand this. God has already fulfilled part of the covenant. He said the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior will come from your seed, David. It's going to happen as he's promised him time and time. I, I, I'm going to make that happen. And so it has. When Jesus Christ came, the, uh, the Savior, the Messiah, um, that fulfilled that. Yet, um, the reality is the day is coming when this same Savior will sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem. And then the Messiah's kingdom will be established forever. The throne of David will be filled once again. And it will be his offspring, his seed that will sit upon that throne. And my friend, it will be an endless kingdom. It will be, he will rule forever and ever. You know what that tells us? As we started out in Acts and we went different places throughout Psalms and eventually back to the origination of the promise here's the neat thing about david david's story of the savior is truly to be continued it is yet to be fulfilled in its entirety 
There are more chapters to be written. There are more things to happen. And, and I, I, what about you? I, wouldn't it be pretty amazing to stand next to David when Jesus Christ ascends the throne in Jerusalem? Wouldn't it be cool just to hear David like, it's finally here. The day has arrived. I remember the day like it was yesterday that the God of heaven, Jehovah, promised it. And here we are. You know what's just as amazing as that? And again, it's a simple thought tonight as I trust you and I have enjoyed our truly Bible study tonight. It's simply this. Just as David's story of the Savior is to be continued, may I just tell you right now, I'm glad to say that each of our stories of the Savior are to be continued. What kind of stories, what kind of chapters to our story will we write for all of eternity with our Savior? The things that we get to enjoy in His presence, the things that that we get to do with our Savior, our Messiah, for all of eternity. Man, I'm so glad that God wrote the first chapters of your story and mine. I'm so thankful that there was a time in our life that we came to realize, I've got to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I can write the next chapter of my story of the Savior. But I sure am thankful that the book is not done. That there are more chapters to be written. And may I just say this? I don't know about you, but I sure know that my stories of the Savior, my story, the best is yet to come. Get to spend all of eternity with our Savior. And just think about what chapters we will write. The things that we will see for all of eternity as we're with our Savior. And to that I say, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Because Jesus Christ came to what? To be our Savior so that you and I can have a story of the Savior.